0: Hello and welcome everybody to a brand new episode of the wind up podcast. I'm your host Mike of MTGA wines. Welcome back to another show. Uh, This is going to be a fun one for me to get into because there's a lot of stuff we're gonna cover today that is very fresh of mind. It's things that we're working on literally this week, right now as we prepare for the rest of the season for bottling for harvest and all the good stuff that's to come for the rest of the summer and through the fall it's gonna be a great one. We're rested and relaxed after the craziness that was Memorial Day weekend, right into some auction Napa Valley festivities. And now I finally get to buckle back down and handle all of the logistics surrounding the rest of our season. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today, is logistics. What, is, what, are, what are the things that are kind of the part of the backbone of winemaking from the logistics side? We've talked a lot about business, we've talked a lot about the winemaking side. What are the little nooks and crannies of things that you have to do in order to get grapes from a field to a winery made and eventually into a bottle? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, For those of you that are interested in kind of more in depth of just specific winemaking kind of geekiness, don't you worry. We will cover that. We touched on it a little bit. In the first couple of episodes of this podcast, as we get closer to the harvest season, we're going to dive in more and more into that. So never fear, we will cover it. Uh, But this is kind of one area that we really haven't gotten into just yet. And especially given the last few years of, you know, all of us hearing supply chain, supply chain, supply chain, you know, issues, that was something that impacted us greatly. So I'm going to try and approach this from kind of what a normal year flows like without any crazy supply chain issues. Uh, But we'll touch on those a little bit, just kind of the challenges and how we overcame some of those things uh, as we were progressing through 2021 and especially last year uh, in 2022 is when it happened to hit us personally uh, the most. So here we go. And I'm going to start with, really, I'm going to start with the harvest season. I'm not going to start with like a January one because there's a lot of stuff that's happening already by that point. So we're going to start with kind of the harvest season, the logistics involved, and then we're going to work our way all the way around the calendar year to get back to the harvest season and just getting the wheels moving all the same direction at the same time. So you've decided to make wine. You have grapes that you've either contracted with, you've worked with a grower, you have your own property, whatever the case may be, the farming is going splendidly, you're getting ready for the harvest season. You're gonna be making some wine this year. There are a handful of things that you need to do. One, and this is something I'm not gonna bore you with here today, but licensing and permitting always helps. It turns out that alcohol, no matter what state you're in, is regulated very, very heavily, and there's a lot of hoops you need to jump through, lots of paperwork, lots of fees and things that you need to pay to your state and even the federal government to make you a legitimate alcohol business. So that's probably number one on the logistics side of things, is just the compliance side of things and legally making sure you can operate as a wine business. We're not gonna touch too much into that. It's super, super boring. It's a lot of paperwork, typically, Folks like us, we hire people to do that stuff for us because it's just a pain in the ass. The handful of times I've actually done it, actually the last time I did it, short sidebar, this is why it's such a pain. Brittany and I literally moved across town, so we had to change our mailing address uh, with the state of California and the wine side of things. Uh, We were redoing some permits as well anyway, so we wanted to make sure that we kind of got that all set up and ready to go. However, just to change our address, we weren't even changing a zip code. We were just changing a street address within the same town. It was 14 pages of paperwork and three meetings. If if there's one thing that annoys us more than anything else, it's the logistics behind the compliance side of things because it's just a rat's nest of bureaucracy that makes no damn sense. But that's as much as I'm going to say about it because... (laughs) just multiply that by a hundred for whatever you're trying to do. That's basically the logistics of compliance in the wine industry. It's just, obnoxious, and every single state is like that. Whether you're shipping from California to another state, whether you're just trying to make wine in your home state and distribute it within that single state, there's, it's just a mess. It's an absolute mess. Some things are easier than others, but realistically, it's a chore no matter which way you slice it. So that's logistics number one. You've decided to make wine, but you got to dot your I's, cross your T's, and make sure that you can legally make alcohol and eventually sell it, hopefully, as well. So, Start with that. Number two, you got your grape source lined up. Whether you're farming it or you're purchasing those grapes from somebody else, in either situation, you have your grapes lined up. You typically have a vineyard crew or a farming company that you've hired that helps you manage it and will eventually help you pick those grapes. And when it comes harvest time, this is typically how we operate. We'll try and give folks A decent amount of heads up to say, hey, we want our grapes to come in on X, Y, Z day within the next couple of days, within the next week or so. For me, I try and give folks maybe a five day heads up, maybe seven to nine days, depending on how busy they are and based on what the weather is doing outside. We're always looking at the forecast that dictates a lot of what we do during harvest, as you might imagine. It is farming after all. But that helps us logistically plan and have a little bit more of a calendar in our heads so that we can figure out kind of the chain of events that's going to occur within the next couple of weeks. From there, you get that pick date on the docket. So you have it on the calendar, you confirm it with your picking crew or your vineyard foreman, whoever it may be, and you move forward with it. Now there's a few things you need in order to pick your grapes. One, typically if you're outsourcing your grapes like we do, we do purchase grapes from other folks. Uh, We do, you know, for our family, they do own some of their own vineyards uh, like my father does or my mother does. Uh, So they have some of their own equipment for this as well, but you need to make sure you have your crew, picking bins, uh, gloves always help, some sort of pruning shears or scythe so that you can chop the grapes off the vine ever so gingerly and place them into a picking lug or bin that can hold a decent amount of fruit. And then you need the larger, typically what we use are the half-ton bins where grapes will get dumped into, consolidated, before they end up actually getting transported to the winery. On top of that, you probably need a tractor, a four-wheeler, a trailer, things of that nature so that you can move things around as you see fit. You're also making sure that those half-ton bins that you need for picking are there pretty much a day ahead of time, if not earlier than that just to make sure that you don't have to worry about it later. There's nothing like waking up at 3 a.m. to go pick grapes and realizing you don't have everything you need to get that job done. Believe me, I've done it before. It's the worst feeling. And you want to try and be as prepared as possible because there's nothing like being stressed in the middle of the night. It's terrible especially when you're under the gun to like get something done. And if a crew's waiting for you, that's not going to fly. So you're going to you really, really, really need to make sure it's dialed in come the harvest season. So once you have all that equipment, the crew and everything lined up, your grapes get picked and the winemaking is going to begin here shortly. You also sometimes need to organize trucking. Uh, There's a, you know, some vineyards will supply trucking that'll be included typically within the price of the grapes. Uh, So that way they can deliver the grapes to you as soon as they're ready to rock and roll. Uh, Very similar to most, I mean, that's pretty much all the vineyards we work with, save two of them. Grapes will get picked and they will be delivered shortly after they're done picking. That way, that next morning, we can start making wine. There are a couple places where you might need to organize trucking. And this is for a couple of our vineyards, actually, that are a little bit further away. So you got to organize trucking, whether you're doing that yourself with your own truck and trailer or flatbed, or you're paying, you know, a transport company to do it for you. There's plenty of ways to go about it. But obviously, there's a lot of moving parts. and You just got to make sure you got that scheduled, scheduled correctly, and that you can get your fruit delivered on time. That tends to always be a challenge. People are always running late come harvest. So typically what we do is we say, hey, just be there early to make sure it's ready so you can get the grapes here early before it gets too hot during the day. We wanna try and keep that fruit nice and cool as we start crushing it. And if they're showing up at one o'clock in the afternoon on a 95 degree day, it's starting to degrade. Ferment. I've seen it, I've seen fermentation start in the bins before we have a chance to actually do anything to the grapes. It's not a great situation. So mitigating that as best you can Logistically, by having your trucking and your schedule all lined up, goes a very long way. Now, the winemaking begins. You got all your winemaking equipment. You distem, you press, you crush grapes. They go into whatever fermentation vessel you have to make sure you got, you know, that all lined up between the facility you're working with, whether you're renting out a facility like we do, and you have to. Make sure you have space for what you're trying to do. If you have barrels that you're in need of, you got to make sure those are all delivered and ready to go and cleaned and ready to rock and roll. Just all kinds of little things. Cleanliness is the A number one thing. We talk a lot about that when it comes to winemaking. It's basically 50% of our job is cleaning stuff. 40% of our job is probably logistics and fixing things to make sure they work. And then roughly 10% we actually get to make wine. That's pretty much how... The wine industry works as it turns out it's the good stuff anyway so you start making wine you have all your fermentation vessels everything kind of lined up if you're using any new barrels whatsoever you've ordered those far in advance because those are typically coming from other parts of the country or other parts of the world in fact when we're ordering our new barrels we typically order them in march that way they arrive by august that's usually how it works for us. Uh, It's planned way, way in advance. In fact, there's a couple more barrels I need to purchase. I'm a little late to the game, but I'm already in contact with that barrel supplier and they have extras laying around. So I'm like, yes, one less thing I have to worry about. It's already taken care of. We got it all lined up. Every once in a while you get lucky like that. And sometimes, as we all know, it's better to be lucky than good every once in a while. And sometimes. If you happen to miss something and you needed those couple extra barrels, or you needed this and needed that, and it just happens to work out, you're just like, dodge that bullet. It's like Neo in the Matrix. You're just leaning back and letting them pat those bullets pass you by. And it just works sometimes, every once in a while. Not all the time, but sometimes it absolutely does. So you start making wine. You get through the winemaking process, everything is pressed off, it goes down into whatever that wine goes into whatever vessel you're going to be aging it in, whether it's stainless steel, oak, concrete, you name it, insert vessel here, and the aging process begins into the fall months. Now, at this stage, at some point during harvest, and this is very common for many producers, including ourselves, is that right after the new year, typically by the end of February, we have a bottling run schedule. So right as harvest is really ramping up, I'm also planning a bottling run, which means in our case, and this is the case of many small producers, is that we don't have our own bottling line. We have to outsource that and bring that in so that we can actually bottle up our wine. Now the schedules for those can be very quite a bit. So I always find, I always kind of err on the side of scheduling earlier, which is about five to six months out. And I say, hey, I call up my bottling line supplier, whom I luckily have worked with for years now. So I send them a quick note and I say, hey, what dates do you have available in this range? Let me know. We'll get something on the calendar. They send that back. I say, "Okay," and we move forward from there. There are a few other things that we need to dial in. Number one and probably most important is the glass. And this is where the supply chain issues, particularly in the last couple of years, hit us really, really hard was with ordering the bottles that we use to put our wine into. The corks were a little bit weird, but they were a little bit easier. That's typically something I can order, not on a whim or on a dime, but as long as I'm within a couple of months, three months, I got everything pretty much lined up. I try and get that order in at least three months ahead of time, if I can, to make sure they're just ready to go and I can just line it up and knock it down. Uh, When it comes to labels, that's another kind of three to four month range. Make sure those are submitted, ready to go. Maybe if there's some, you know, a little side project or something that I want to bottle sooner rather than later, you can kind of turn on a dime with that a little bit, not too, too much. Uh, Definitely by like two months out, I'm like, I got to have all this dialed in. That way we can just move forward uh, foils, the little capsules that go on top of the bottle. Uh, those, if you're custom ordering those and you have your own design for them, you got to order those way in advance, like way, way, way in advance, like months and months and months in advance, because a lot of them are actually, uh, at least for like the company we work with, a lot of it comes from Spain. And to get a custom order, you know, freighted all the way over here in time for bottling just takes months and months. And if you're going to pay for air freight, which is outrageously expensive, Listen, if you got the money to burn, no harm, no foul. But if you're trying to save a dime, planning ahead always helps. So you gotta get your foil order in super early. If you're using generic foils that are just black or a certain color that works and that you know you got them in the warehouse, you know, here locally, you can just order them. Typically sooner the better to make sure they have the stock available. I've definitely messed that up before where I went to order foils. They were out of the size we needed. I'm like, well, we're just gonna bottle without foils this year. That happened years ago, luckily enough. So now we try and get that order in pretty early as well. So not only are you making wine come the fall, but you've got all these other little, what we call the dry goods that you need for bottling wine that are officially coming into the fall that you need to make sure that you have on order for the winter months. So in the back of my head, in what is it? It's June. So July, August, September, in about three months, I'm going to start planning that bottling run, which means I'm going to be dog tired, fueled on basically caffeine and whiskey alone in the middle of harvest. Well, it has been a really cool mild year so far. So maybe harvest will get pushed back for us and I can actually do this without having to be too stressed about it, which would be really nice, I guess, kind of. But that also means we're picking grapes in like late October and November, which is a whole nother conversation. Anyway, once you get all that stuff dialed in, now you're kind of lined up for your bottling run in the new year, whether that's happening in February, March, you just make sure that you kind of know, we know we want to age our white wine and our rosés and things for maybe six months total. So with that, February is when we want a bottle, which means you backtrack that five or six months and that's when you got to start planning it. So basically when those grapes are getting harvested or a month after they're harvested, we're planning the bottling run for them. So logistically, it's just a lot of balls in the air especially when it comes for bottling. It's just, it's why, I mean, my kind of tongue-in-cheek joke about winemaking is that it's super, super fun, and it would be even more fun if we didn't actually have to bottle it. Because logistically, bottling is just kind of a nightmare. All those vendors that I just mentioned between corks, foils, glass, those are three, and the bottling line, you got four right there. Oh, labels, so, you know, five, that you you got to work with right out of the gate. Now, if you're screen printing your bottles instead of using, say, like a paper label, or maybe you're etching your bottles instead of using either the other two, now you're adding more layers of complexity and you have to get things dialed in a little bit more, depending on what you're doing. For us, there is there is a certain wine that we do screen print, and that takes a couple of extra months, so we got to make sure that's dialed in. In fact, we're getting some bottles etched right now for this upcoming run, it took three months just to get that glass done. So we went ahead and got that started in March. That way we just have the glass ready to go for an August bottling run. So it's just, again, lots of balls in the air, lots of things you gotta plan ahead for. And during harvest, when you're planning a bottling run, your mind is other places. So that is probably, I would argue, one of the more, it's, it's always a challenging time of year, but now you're thinking about something that's so out of sight and out of mind because it's so far into the future. It's easy to screw up the logistics. It really, really is. Um, in fact, this last winter I screwed up the glass order. I did not order enough, and now we have wine that's been in barrel a little bit longer. It still tastes great, but it has been in barrel a little longer than I would normally like. It still tastes very, very delicious. It has not really changed the characteristics of it. But we weren't. It's it's not financially viable for us to rent a bottling line or hand bottle. We could hand bottle a full barrel. Uh, But for this wine in particular, it's not something that we want to do. We'd rather get it done professionally. So we're now looping it into another bottling run later in the year. Mistakes happen. We all know whatever business that any of us are in, things get missed, things get overlooked. And every once in a while, you just got to eat it and say, well, we're going to figure it out on the other side of things. And that's what happened to me, literally, the last bottling run we had in February. So, and that was just me being too dog tired and just overlooking something in the fall as I'm planning that run. So you get through harvest, you have the run planned, you get into the new year. And now from the logistics standpoint, it's a little bit more mellow. If you've done your homework and you you have all your dry goods lined up, your bottling run is all scheduled, you're good to go. Really the only thing that you need to focus on is you, the wines that you have in the cellar. You start blending, You start dialing in the exact volumes of everything that's gonna be there. You can make small tweaks to some of those orders that I mentioned for all the dry goods, whether it's the corks or the glass, whatever the case is. Hopefully you can still make some tweaks if you have to. And from there, you're just taking care of business. For me, it's when I, January is when I go into the cellar and I say, you know what? I'm gonna taste through everything from this last harvest. I'm gonna kind of get the lay of the land, where things are headed. I've got my little moleskin like black notebook that I just make notes in. That way I can start planning for the rest of the year in terms of what needs to get done with some of those wines. Once the bottling run comes up, you know maybe we're a month or so away from the bottling run. So let's say late January into you know when late February is gonna be the bottling run. So in late January, this is when I do one more taste of all the blends that I've put together to make sure they're where I want them to be. Because in about two weeks after that, so come mid-February, I'm going to be pulling all the wine that we're going to be bottling out of barrels, and it's going to go down to the winery into a tank so that we can homogenize that blend. Because if we're making, let's say, four barrels of rosé for Blair Payton, we have all those four barrels, and they're all very close, you know, in terms of overall flavors and characteristics, but what we don't want to do is have one barrel be a little bit different, one barrel be a little bit the same, and then you get... A couple bottles from of the same wine that are different so what we do is we pull the wine out of all those barrels we put them into one larger vessel in this case a stainless steel tank and that way it blends the wine together so this is you know a day maybe two days worth of work of just moving wine from smaller containers to a bigger container that way that blend is consistent all the way across uh, if there's any filtering that needs to be done, we don't do a lot of filtering except for our white wine and rosé. Those are the only two things, uh, that we do filter. Uh, so with between those two or filter to a certain point. Uh, so that's something that we do schedule ahead of time. We have someone come out and help us filter our wine because it's a whole different piece of equipment. Uh, very typically, well, it's a cross flow filtration, uh, for those who want to know, uh, we don't do a lot of plate and frame or, Uh, We don't do any carbon filtering or anything like that. Um, But cross flow is what we prefer. I find it's pretty soft and easy going on the wine. Uh, So you make sure that you have that scheduled and ready to go. And that's something that, interestingly enough, you have to schedule within a certain time frame. Because if you schedule it too early, your wine can still plug up some of the filters that go into the bottling line. So you have to, I typically try and make sure that the filtering happens maybe three days or so before bottling. That way it's done, it's in a good time frame. we can bottle and not have any issues. This was something that actually occurred uh, this last February uh, for all of our friends that were there to help us out. You got to see me in one of my more stressed moments uh, where there's a wine that wasn't ours. Uh, (laughs) I had my stuff dialed in this February, I was very proud about it. But there was a wine that was not ours that the filtration and apparently something else had kind of gummed up the works and it felled one of the sterile filters that was going into the truck, literally busted it up. So it clogged up the bottom line. We had to stop, reset. We got going again after trying to troubleshoot it as best we could and then it clogged up again. And it was like, well, we still have quite a bit of this wine left. Let's rinse everything out, get this out of the way, and we're just gonna move on to the next wine. So if you're filtering or if you're finding your wine, you need to make sure it's done within a pretty specific time frame to make sure that your wine is actually ready for bottling and things like that don't happen. That wastes an hour of time on a bottling run where we need every minute we can get, especially in a month like this last February where it's cold, it's pouring rain outside, and bottling's already stressful enough, this is just another layer of complexity and a problem that you don't need to be having necessarily. So this is why you know logistics and what we're getting into today, that's one of those things that can, and I have seen happen on more than one occasion, and it's very preventable as long as you're on top of things. Uh, now there are moments where say a bottling line goes down because a piece of equipment breaks, Uh, maybe a glass, maybe someone messed up an order or the right glass wasn't delivered. So you got to try and figure something out and reschedule the run, you know, things happen and you need to adapt and overcome as best you can. But when it's day of, and things are moving and something that was within your control, you know, is what screws things up. That hurts. It hurts. It's like a dagger to the heart. It's so brutal. And I felt so bad because you want just the, you want the run to go on without any issues whatsoever, but you clog up a couple of sterile filters. The bottling truck's like, listen, we're not doing this again. Let's bottle everything else. You guys are going to have to figure this out another time. Like I said, that issue in February was not any of our wines, so I was fine with it. No problem. It was a pain in the ass, but we got through it. It was no big deal. Now, once you have things bottled. Oh, this is something I should mention. I completely forgot. I did mention that it was pouring buckets that day. This February, it was raining. And this is one of my favorite stories about bottling and some of the, like the little things that you just don't quite think about. When you're buying a wine off the shelf, this is nothing that any of you have ever considered, ever. It's only something you would see if you worked a bottling line and it was cold and potentially rainy outside, this is what happens. So luckily, the guys on the bottling truck, we colleagues, we go back a long ways. We see each other a couple times a year and catch up and talk shop and talk shit and have a good time. This was a really particularly cold and rainy day. The guy, we, what we do as we're setting up for a bottle is we hand them a case of the glass that we're using. That way they can set up the truck so the bottles fit along the track and everything. So that the labels go on correctly, that the corks go in correctly. They do all kind of the QC on that end. We just make sure they have a case of our glass bottle so they can get it all set up to our kind of criteria that we have, right? He goes and he opens up a bottle or a case with a glass. He pulls out a bottle and wipes his finger across it. And I look at him and I go, oh no. And he goes, this is going to be a problem. And what he did was he wiped off condensation from the bottle. Think of like you left a glass of water in your car or something, or the inside of your windows or your car all fogged up and you touch it with your hand, or it's you take a hot shower and you're rubbing down the mirror and just moisture's there, right? That's what was happening to the bottles. The problem in that particular situation is you have a paper label in our case that is in essence a sticker, right? That's going onto these glass bottles. If those glass bottles are moist enough, moist enough. Did I just say that moist enough? The labels won't stick and they'll just slide and fall off and be crooked and everything. It's a disaster waiting to happen because Now you can't label your wine, which means you got to add a whole nother layer of logistics by getting it to your warehouse or storing it on site somewhere and then labeling it at another point. So we're going through this run and I realize, you know, I'm running around with a, like a chicken with my head cut off on a bottling day, especially we were bottling 10 wines in a single day. It was not the most fun I've had. Oh, it was such a pain in the ass. And at a certain point I go, wait. We got through the screen printed stuff. We're on the paper labels. Are the paper labels okay? So I run to the side of this. So I look in. I can see the, the bottles coming off the line. All the paper labels look good. And I, I go to the side of the truck and I get his attention. I'm like, hey, the paper labels. He's like, shut up. Shut the fuck up. This is like a pitcher going for a perfect game. You don't talk to him. You don't look at him. This shouldn't be happening. Just go with it. <laughs> And I'm like, you're right. This never happened. And I just ran away (laughs) because there was no, it was a recipe for disaster. And somehow our paper labels stuck. Oh my gosh. If any of you have received for, especially for our wine club members out there who have received our 2022 Pinot Gris, that was one of those wines it was and that was the case that he pulled out it was this slightly foggy glass i'm like oh no we have this tall skinny label this is never gonna work and it worked and the labels look good if yours happens to be crooked that's why and i apologize but that's that was something that like logistically you're like this this is never something that you ever think about as a consumer of like applying a label to about you're like oh well it just sticks on there it wraps on and you're good not necessarily if it's cold raining and those Bottles have a lot of condensation on them. Guess what? Those labels might not stick, but somehow ours did. (sighs) Bottling's the worst. It's the worst. You have all these vendors, all these things that have to come together to make it happen, and then something like that happens? Come on. Just give me a break. Just give me a break. This last February was definitely the biggest shit show of a bottling run that I've ever been a part of. And man, did the beer taste good afterwards. It was awesome. Absolutely awesome. <laughs> so from there, you get through the craziest bottling run you've ever had. And you roll into the next month. And at this stage, you have organized trucking and things to probably take that wine. You know, for us, it, all of our wines get stored on an off-site facility. That's how a lot of folks are. We don't necessarily have all the cases right on site because they just take up a lot of space. And you don't necessarily have a warehouse on property where you can do that. That's temperature controlled and the whole nine. So you outsource that. You truck all those case goods, all the wine that's bottled and finished and ready to be sold or stored for aging. You send that to your warehouse. And from there, you're back in kind of the normal loop of cellar work. Maybe you're preparing some blends. Maybe you're getting some racking done, moving wine from some barrels to other barrels. Maybe you're getting ready for another bottling run. And this is pretty much what happens to us is that we get through the month of March and as we get into April, I have my next bottling run already on the calendar. I'm starting to order my labels. I'm starting to order my dry goods, particularly glass. And now as we get into May and into June, we're confirming that we have all those dry goods all over again. So there's logistically just... The bottling runs, you kind of get out of one, you get a break, and then you're right into the next one. That's kind of how bottling runs are. They're a chore, a necessary chore to actually get wine to you so that, it, that you can enjoy it. Well worth it. Very well worth it. I just like to talk a lot of trash about bottling runs because they're just a mess no matter what. In between the early bottling run of the year and preparing for the next one, there are a couple of things that's happening. One is that we are talking to all of our grape growers before the season, the growing season starts. We're making sure that we're you know if we, those were contracted for certain vineyards, uh, maybe we're trying to shop around for new varieties or new vineyards to work with. We're getting all of our barrels ordered. There's a lot of just emails and phone calls and meetings going back and forth back and forth, back and forth. That way you're all set up for the harvest season. Typically, by the end of March, I have all of my grape contracts ready to go. I know what grapes I'm buying, how much of them I'm buying, and what price I'm going to be paying for them. I also have all of our barrels ordered. So, you know, we buy maybe a third of our 50 barrels every year are new. So we got to make sure that those are all on order to hopefully arrive by August. Sometimes they show up late and you just got to do what you got to do. But you want them ordered as soon as you can, that way you have them set and ready to go for your harvest season, or later on down the line in the fall, so you can put your new wines into those new barrels. So between the months of March and into April, that's when all that gets dialed in, then we're right back into planning for harvest and planning for the next bottling run. So you get all your harvest logistics, kind of the early stuff, contracts, barrels ordered, ready to rock and roll. Then you're into planning the next bottling run. And I'm not going to bore you with talking about the next bottling run because you already got to listen about the worst bottling run I've ever been a part of, which happened (laughs) that happened in February. This one's actually looking pretty good. We've got about 500 cases to bottle. It's not a huge run. It's going to be a good solid day's worth of work. We've got all of our, uh, everything's lined up looking good. We even have a new wine that we're bottling. That's something that I don't have a label for yet, but we'll, we'll get to that we'll get to that down the road. That's, that's, uh, that's a, uh, after this run is over kind of problem. We're going to be handling, handling some stuff just like the good old days, uh, when we started making wine. So behind all those things, it's just a little bit more cellar work right now. We're going in uh, a couple weeks ago. You're tasting, you know, we tasted through all of our wines. A lot of folks right now are maybe doing some blending trials. They're kind of just preparing, just preparing. You know, a lot of what we do in the wine industry is preventative medicine. And logistically, it's no different. When you have bottling runs coming up, when you have harvest coming up, you're planning that so many months in advance because you want to be able to get there and do the work and not have to think twice. What is it? The the failure to plan is a plan to fail. That's how that cliche goes. That's basically the wine industry in a nutshell, is you want to have things lined up to knock them down so that that way... If something does go awry, you can troubleshoot it immediately or hopefully nothing goes wrong. So as we get in through past the spring months, we get all of our harvest, you know, all the stuff lined up between barrels and grapes. We get the next bottling run, you know, all scheduled and ready to go. We're into the summer months. And this is the way I typically describe our summer is when it comes to winemaking, it's just the calm before the storm. July is a great month in the wine industry. At least I think it's a great month. You know, you have a bottling run kind of around the corner, but it's kind of your last ditch effort to get a quick getaway in, go camping, grab yourself a vacation, whatever the case may be. You get to lay low a little bit. Our bocce league here locally is in full swing. So we get to go play some bocce at least once a week, which is lovely. It's nice to have that as a kind of the local sport, like rec department, because you can hold a glass of wine and still play it. That's how we qualify our rec sports out here. If you can hold a glass of wine and play it, we're all in. If you can't do that, we're not really interested. That's how it works. So logistically, by the time you get to July, you're pretty much all set and ready to go. Hopefully, hopefully there's no curveballs for you. But at that stage, again, it was all preventative medicine. It was things you were preparing for so that you could get to that next bottling run, execute it. And then as soon as that bottling run is done, guess what? Harvest is here. And that's really gonna be the case for us. Uh, We have a bottling run scheduled for August 18th this year in 2023. Shortly thereafter, probably a week after that is typically when our first round of grapes come in. Now, this is where the curveballs start to get thrown at you logistically by Mother Nature because we've had a very wet, very cool winter. We've had a very mild spring thus far. Uh, Interestingly enough, from the whispers that I'm hearing from colleagues around the valley is that folks are anywhere from two to four weeks behind where they have been in past years, uh, which means things are actually going to probably be interestingly enough, maybe a touch closer to what the historical average is, not necessarily the average for the last few years, uh, but the historical average of when harvest has started for us, Uh, which again, you got to kind of keep the grand perspective of time, you know, in, in mind, you can't just say the last three years have been the, you know, standard because there's a lot of years that came before that in terms of what mother nature was doing. But what that's going to mean for us is that we've been used to you know harvesting the first round of grapes maybe in mid-august that could get pushed back into early september maybe second or third week of september especially for our big reds those likely won't be coming in until maybe even mid early to mid-october where normally most of our fruit is actually in probably by the end of september so logistically you know going back to where we started with the harvest side of things, when we're talking about working with our growers and the pick dates and how we're going to be transporting wine, you know, grapes to or from winery uh, for processing. Now we got to start keeping that in mind that, hey, we got to make sure that we're checking in on the vineyards. We're driving out to them to see how things are progressing. That escalates and you do that more frequently as the summer months go on. So Very typically, I walk through our vineyards just here and there come the spring and summer months. By the time August comes around and things are starting to look like they're ripening up, late August into September, I'm in those vineyards at least once a week, if not twice or three times, depending on what the weather is doing. That way, when it's time to call that pick and we need to get that crew ready to go and give them that five or seven day heads up, we're ready to go. And we know exactly what we're looking for. We're looking at basically every winemaker has three different weather apps that they look at to try and get an amalgamation of what's actually going to happen and from there we can schedule that pick and run with it hopefully hopefully mother nature doesn't throw another extended heat spike at us like she did last year hopefully it doesn't rain after said heat spike like it did last year uh, hopefully we don't get early rain and a cold wet harvest like we did in 2011 hopefully we don't get fires like we did in 2020 or 2017 There's a lot of what ifs, a lot of hopefullys going on right now. And this is where logistics play such a huge role in winemaking is again, if you focused on them, you've gotten your preventative medicine in place and you know what you need to do to get your job done. Everything's lined up. All you got to do is start to knock it down. You can turn on a dime and make those adjustments. You can, but if you're not on the ball and if you're bad at your job, You end up up a creek without a paddle really, really fast. And every year, every year, there's some folks where that happens, where they just weren't prepared. And it's tough to see. It's really tough to see sometimes. You have exceptions, of course, where, you know, Mother Nature throws five days of 115 plus degree heat at you. Man, there's not a lot you can do about that other than... Call your pick and try and do the best you can with what you got, or wait through the heat if you got enough water to wait through the heat. You know that's what that was the big thing that happened to us last year. You know, you know you try and have logistically all your stuff lined up and ready to rock and roll, and then that curveball comes at you, Whew, and it was a mean one. There's, I mean, there's no batter that can hit that curveball. You just, I mean, that's we talked about fouling off pitches as an analogy for harvest. And sometimes that's just what you got to do. You got to foul off a pitch so you can see the next one because the next one you might be able to hit 115 degree heat for five days. You're not hitting that pitch. You're going to take a swing. It's probably an emergency swing and you hopefully you make some contact. That's the goal. (laughs) That's the goal. So even even when you have all of your logistics kind of lined up, ready to knock it down, there are still crazy things that happen, whether it's, say, a filtering issue that is out of your control, whether it's a heat spike or a rainstorm that Mother Nature throws your way. We all know this, that in every career path, there are things that kind of get thrown at you that you don't see coming. But if you've prepared properly, you can handle it and you move forward and you get through the craziness, even though, even though it was a trial and a tribulation, right? That's how it works. So logistics in the wine industry, it might seem like grapes are harvested, they're crushed and fermented into wine, the cherubs flutter down, they bless the wine and they flutter off, wine's been made and then we calmly, coolly and collectively Bottle it, and start sending it to your front door, or local wine shop or restaurant, whatever your style of business is. Right, that is simply the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> that is the tip of the iceberg, and it's funny. It's it's very very funny when and and many of you have have said this. Who have, I know who listens to this. Uh, many of you uh, and many more have said this that it would be so cool to come out and work harvest and see it all happen. It's a ton of fun. It's an outrageous amount of work. And bottling is no different than that. It's not just harvest. The bottling runs are a chore to even begin with, right? And it is it is a good, solid, hard day's work. You're gonna earn it for sure. And I tell people, I'm like, if you're... And this is what I tell people. I was like, if you really wanted to work in the wine industry, number one, you're probably not gonna do it for me because not because I don't like you, but because I do like you and I don't want you to hate me by the end of it because I try not to be an asshole during harvest, but I have a, I wouldn't call it a short fuse, but not a lot of patience. And it's like, we got to line up. We got to go. We got to get it done. Stop asking questions. We're we're just working now. (laughs) We're just working now. (laughs) That's how I operate during harvest. I show up to the winery early in the morning. I got my cup of coffee. I got my, I look at my whiteboard and see what I got to get done that day and I go all right, let's just get it done. Just get it done. You work your 20 hours, then you catch a couple and then you go pick grapes the next day and just keep it rolling. And that that's where the logistics of harvest and having them dialed in really helps cuz you know you're going to be working crazy hours and you're just going to have you need to be able to line it up to knock it down. You need to be able to line it up to knock it down. And that way if something does go awry, you can make a quick gut decision and move forward, keep moving forward. There's one way and that is forward when it comes to the wine industry. That's for sure. Thank you so much as always for tuning in. I hope that shed a little bit of light into kind of the background of what's happening outside of just the winemaking and the events and the sales and kind of all the other stuff, the business that we've talked about. There's a lot of little things that you have to think about when it comes to just movement of wine from point A to point B, uh, cases of wine to point A to point B, making sure you're getting your wine bottled on time, making sure you have barrels ready for harvest, so on and so forth. There's so many little moving parts. And it's kind of the nice thing about the wine industry, especially as a small wine label, you get to wear pretty much all of those hats, if not quite a few of them. And it allows you to do something a little bit different every single day. Some of it, Let's be honest, scheduling bottling runs and making sure that stuff's gonna get delivered on a specific day is not necessarily the most fun. But there are other things like getting your barrels lined in, talking to your grape growers and figuring out how harvest is looking and figuring out kind of your, I don't know, strategy for the year. That's that's some pretty fun stuff. And you also get the plan for some of your little R&D projects and wines that have yet to be named and so on and so forth. So, there's a lot of fun to be had amongst the logistics side of things when it comes to producing a wine. And maybe we'll dive into the licensing and compliance stuff and even the distribution side of things. But those we're going to save for another day. So be sure to rate, review. Uh, If you have any questions or comments, please leave them in the comment section or you can head to our website, mtgawines.com. There's a little form at the bottom of the uh, homepage there. We can submit questions uh, at the end of every month. Just a reminder, we do have our monthly Q&A. So if you want your question submitted to be answered, please make sure you do that. Uh, We're still, I mean, it's been great to see folks continuing to download the podcast and share it with their friends. So please uh, continue sharing it with folks uh, who are wine inclined, or maybe just want to know a little bit more about kind of the ins and outs of the wine business. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. It has been a great logistical episode with you all. We'll catch you next week.